This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio. Welcome to Author Voices On Air, and I'm your host, Rick Bell. The next book we're going to talk about is The Pinwheel. Now, the title of the book doesn't give much away. However, this book by Steve Church and Terry Kane defines what is unquestionably great customer service, how it increases employee engagement, boosts repeat business, and drives greater profitability. So, here to tell us more is one half of the the, the writing duo, duo is Terry Kane. Welcome to the show, Terry. Thank you for joining me. Now, as I mentioned during the introduction there, this is a book all about how to improve your business, how to improve customer service, how to improve productivity, all that kind of thing. But first of all, let's talk about how you came up with the idea for the book. Okay, and thank you very much, Rick, for uh, this uh, opportunity to talk about it. You know, the book has been writing itself for about 15 years with uh, the work that we've done in in a, a Fortune 100 company that we both worked for. And I think the the subtitle of the book kind of tells a little bit more about it in that it's strategy versus culture, and the winner is uh, improving the odds in your favor. Our our premise to to state it as clearly as possible is that we now believe that the culture of a business or an organization of any kind is the most powerful asset that it can have. What was the catalyst that made you decide to write this as a book? And tell us a little about the partnership. I, I guess the catalyst, um, more than anything else, is our own experience. Uh, I like to tell people we didn't have any research at all behind this. This, this is just uh, what happened to us, and with stories that we tell and observe from uh, our own experiences with with customer service. Because we're we're all in the in the same business, right? We're all consumers. We're all customers, so we get a chance to see what what works and what doesn't work. But but for us, um, being a part of a large organization, we also got to witness it from the inside. And so as we began to engage and drive uh, more customer-centric um, opportunities into our business, we often would see that it was our own culture that was holding us back from being as successful as we desired. It may seem obvious to anyone who picks up this book or any of our listeners that, yes, it's a book for someone running a business, but I think there's a lot more to it than that. Who would you say that you wrote this book for and why? Why Why would you say it appeals to that particular sector of business? Yes, well, we wrote it, we wrote it for for business leaders of all kinds or I mean we've actually been approached by churches and nonprofit organizations uh, to help them as well but anyone who's responsible for um, an organization uh, driving it uh, setting the culture for it which is basically the leaders involved 
And again, the pinwheel is a metaphor for what we see as the seven elements that actually help you to, to build on a culture or to, or to even assess your own culture. Now, funnily enough, that brings me to my next question, the title, The Pinwheel. And as you said, that talks about the seven aspects of what's important in a business. But how did you come to choose that particular title and that particular um, icon, if you like, for the book? Yeah, so uh, pinwheels, uh, you know, often known as a child's toy. And and uh, we began to see that as a metaphor for how uh, the winds of of the marketplace and the winds of change in any business would would blow against. Uh, uh, often pinwheels actually have seven veins uh, that they catch the wind and move forward. And we began to see that uh, the the veins that we use and they're they're veins that everyone's familiar with in business, and we can go through them briefly if you'd like. But for the most part, what we found is if if you if you uh, flatten any one of those veins, you begin to see that the the business or the culture or the uh, whatever uh, you're applying it to slows down. If you flatten two, if you flatten three, uh, all of a sudden you have less and less strength to move forward in the marketplace. So so we just saw it as a wheel that um, that really uh, it moves all the time. We don't like for people to think there is an arrival. Okay, once you've once you've arrived exactly here, then your your business is perfect. No, it's continually changing, and there are things you need to to take a look at in your culture in order to improve. There are a lot of things to teach the business reader, if you like. But if I could ask you to choose one thing in particular that you think stands out as something to teach or something for the reader to take away, what what would you choose? Okay, this is this is what makes the wheel uh, uh, more powerful, even for us. And and uh, any listener can look it up on the website that we have or whatever. The, but again, the the seven veins of the pinwheel are uh, integrity and values, uh, vision, attitude, knowledge and skills, systems and processes, accountability, and finally passion. And they're not in any order. And so, what we often do, Rick, is we well, actually, this is the beginning of what we do when we go into businesses. We we do a silent ballot, uh, a private ballot, and we ask each of the leadership team uh, this one question. Which one of these veins, which one of these elements of the pinwheel, if you were to work on for the next six months or three months even, some period of time, would make the most impact in improving your organization? And see, that be- begins the dialogue because – What happens if there's 10 people on that leadership team, they come back and seven of them say vision, then that's the favorite that I would talk about. Or that's the favorite that we would talk about. Well, what what needs to change about the vision? Why isn't it clear? Or how would you change it and then uh, move forward? And when you do it uh, six months later, guess what? You'll spin that wheel and it'll be something different because you've already focused on that one thing. Would you agree that... Regardless of the type of business that someone is running, would you agree that the most important product that they have is customer service? Well, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, the, the value of a company oftentimes is only measured in dollars and cents. 
And so if it's profitable, then it must be great. Is it providing value? Is it providing value for who? And so what we believe that is important is that the culture is what sustains the the value for the customer. And the customer becomes um, the reason for being in business in the first place is to provide value for for that customer. Absolutely. Now let's go back to your experience of writing this book. There were two of you involved in writing it. So that must in itself have set some challenges. Tell us about some of those challenges that you both faced as a team writing the book and also individually. And most importantly, what you would say you got out of writing this book. Well, we found that we uh, had similar thoughts and, and, and similar observations in our experiences but different experiences. And that's what made it uh, not challenging. It made it come together. And so, um, as it turns out, Steve left uh, corporate America three years before I did. And when I left, uh, we'd, we'd always talked about when we worked together at the same company that we would, we would write this um, uh, together. And, and, because we we've been invited on stage at many conferences and in educational institutions as well, and just had a chance to to uh, speak about these passionate topics uh, regularly, actually. And so it became what what we thought was fairly simple was just to write down the stories we've been telling for ten years. As it turns out, uh, that's not as easy as we thought. Perhaps it took us over a year to really put it all together, even though we had had it written quite a bit already. Um, so I think the challenge um, was just organizing ourselves to um, make sure everything was aligned. It was fun more than anything else, Rick. Would you say that the fun aspect of it was your biggest reward? You know, there, certainly the, the, I think the best reward is the strength of a, of a relationship that develops when you have worked on something now I'm going to guess our, our work really began about 25 years ago where we both read and shared and agreed with uh, a, a book called, um, oh, it's called The, the Experience Economy. And it was, this was written over 25 years ago by a, a, a pair of, of people, um, Pine and Gilmore. And they began talking about how, you know, the the, the, every every business should be like Disneyland, right, where everyone comes and it's the happiest place on earth. Well, that seemed pretty absurd at that time, 25 years ago. But um, a, as we began to try to implement some of their great ideas into our business over the course of over 75 acquisitions and the changes we went through as we built our global footprint in this Fortune 100 company we worked in, it just began to resonate with us that, boy, there was a lot of work to do, and it seemed seemed simpler, or it seemed simple, but that doesn't mean it's easy. How would you say that business globally uh, and also at a local level has changed since the, the World Recession? It, it seems to me that there's the focus on technology and the capability of digital technology and artificial intelligence uh, is the buzzword for CEOs these days, and rightfully so. It's part of what differentiates us in the marketplace. But I think our simple message uh, continues to at least resonate with us in that 
if you are creating a customer experience, it's for people and it's by people. We recognize that the human element is really what we seek and desire and what pleases us the most. And even when we screw up, um, we're going to come back to that company that fixed it and fixed it in a way that, that made our relationship stronger. And, of course, social media does pay, play a very, very important role. And what would you say the big lesson there is? I think it was Forrester's research that probably said it in a, they, they said it in 2010 and in that we are in the age of the customer now. We went through the industrial age. We went through the age of distribution. We went through various stages and uh, epicycles, if you will. And so the the social media part of that is so critical because any good that you do or bad that you do is now in the public public eye. And right or wrong, companies can be um, made or broken by the social media content and or how it's presented in in just seconds now. I mean, there can be waves of of things on how a company acts that could actually take it out of business in just just a matter of uh, minutes or, or hours. On a personal basis, what I've always felt is the secret to a business that I've dealt with, whether it's a small business, whether it's a large organization, or whether it's even a, a government body, it's not the fact that they've made a mistake because even the best company or individual can make a mistake, but it's what they do about putting it right. And I think that is, well, for me, I know that's something that will determine how I judge that company. If they do a good job in putting it right, instead of being criticised and being complained about, they will actually get my praise. And would you agree that that is that is becoming the norm for a lot of people? I agree with you fully. And there's uh, some good research that backs that up, that relationships actually become stronger when there is a, uh, uh, an effective um, uh, service recovery process. We talk about that in, in the book. It's uh, one of the chapters and one of the stories that when you get a chance to talk to Steve, uh, he'll he'll tell the story of the his experience at the Del Coronado and what the general manager actually did um, uh, to to help him go from he actually went from I'm never going to stay at this hotel again to wow I'll tell others about it and we we both have similar stories but his is is really more on service recovery. Now go back once again to the book. Um, there are a lot of books that could be said that are on similar topics, business, marketing books, and the like. But obviously, as one of the authors of this book, you feel that your book is different. You feel that it stands above many other books. But what would you say makes it stand out from the crowd? Well, I, I can only tell you what um, people who have endorsed the book and read the book have told us, because... Um, uh, you know, when, when you, when you write a hundred pages, uh, with, with a partner, uh, you can mostly just remember what it was like writing and I can't really tell you, um, what I think is best or what stands out. I, I think more than anything else, it's readable. It's very simple. It is only about a hundred pages. Um, at the end of each chapter, 
um, is a is a question. Uh, actually, we 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 uh, we call it questions for engagement and action um, on each of those elements that we talked about. And and the main thing is, so we want we want leaders to be able to first of all sit down and read a book. You can read a hundred pages in 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 probably an hour or less instead of three or 400 pages where you've gotten most of the concept in the first, you know, 50 pages. And so we think number one is it's readable. Uh, number two, we, we believe that each chapter is um, somewhat could be dealt with independently. If you went to the table of contents and you go, Oh, I want to, I want to learn more about one of these elements of the pinwheel. And it's uh, this element called vision uh, called inspiring the dream. Then I'd go to that chapter talk with my team about it or my leadership team and work through the questions because each chapter really is only a couple pages. So, Has it inspired you to write any further books or is there anything you're working on? What is the future for you and Steve as writers and as business writers in particular? Yeah, so experience is the best teacher. And for us, what's happening is we... We have clients that have used the pinwheel and they use the, uh, the concepts in the book. Uh, we begin to recognize that, that there are some specialties uh, in special markets that we could um, apply more specific information. Uh, for instance, uh, the healthcare industry in America could use some help. So we thought about writing uh, specifically about the healthcare industry, um, or using the pinwheel specifically for the healthcare to make it more specific for people that are there. We actually have a, a church group that has um, been interested in it as well. So we thought we might apply some various uh, faith factors. Um, I'm involved very heavily with a nonprofit group, and so I think if we were to write it, it would be in other editions that are specific to industry. If we get I would say if we actually get a pull for that or a request for that. And it certainly sounds like you're going to have a, a lot of um, writing ahead for you both. In closing, um, now I believe there's a website and I'll get you to tell us about that, but is there anything else in addition to that that you'd like to tell us about? So, Rick, I think the website's really the only thing to direct people to. Um, hopefully all of the resources that we we can give away there will be there. There's going to be video work, but uh, the website is simply www.pinwheel.partners, and um, it shows our services. It tells more of the premise of the book. You can actually read the first chapter uh, on on the website uh, um, there, and uh, and it tells a little bit more about who we are and our, our experience as well. Thank you for that. The Pinwheel is... Written by Terry Kane and Steve Church and is published by iUniverse and is available direct from the publisher at iUniverse.com and all good book stockists. Once again, I'd like to thank my guest today, the author and business entrepreneur, Terry Kane, for joining me on the show. Thank you, Terry. This is Rick Bell for Tognet Radio 2.0. Thank you for listening. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you heard? 
The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book title is Nightmare Enemy, Dream Friend. And joining me from Florida is author Jerry Blanton. Welcome, sir. You have an interesting background. You've taught high school English, managed a bookstore, served as an academic dean, uh, worked as a copyright proofreader, English professor, writer, and among other things, you've written 20 books. Why did this book become important to you? Why did you want to tell this story? Um, well, actually, it was just a... Um, I, one, one day I got a, a call on my business phone, and a person said that he had a... An idea, a really good idea for a book, but he wasn't a writer, and so he was trying to find a writer to work on it. And I, I said, well, I said, I'll, I'll have to hear the story first. And uh, he told me a story about somebody that the, he said was a friend of his family and had been a, a German U-boat captain. And I, I listened, and I said, hey, well, you know what? This is a very interesting story, and I probably would be interested. We met... A couple of weeks later, at uh, a bistro in uh, Western Florida, and had lunch and talked it over, and uh, I signed a contract and I wrote it. This is a this is really a combination of historical fact and fiction. Would that be a good way to describe it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I did a lot of research to uh, come up with the historical <clears throat> fact and uh, the ambiance of the times and so on, because of course I wasn't alive then. And uh, and then I, I I put in the uh, the main character, which uh, is probably not accurately it wouldn't describe this fellow's friend, the one that I got the idea from. But uh, he turned out to be uh, an interesting character. The the so he's a Christian. Yes. He was tra- trained to be a doctor, and then because of the Nazi regime, he wasn't able to practice medicine. And he wound up, in order to support his family, because by then he had uh, three sons and a wife, and uh, so he became a uh, U-boat captain to support his family. Interesting also is the uh, the names of two key characters and those who are at least superficially uh, uh, familiar with the Christian faith. Uh, this kind of popped out. Uh, one is, first name is Luther, the other one is Calvin. Was that right. purposeful or is that an accident? Oh, that was purposeful. And uh, <laughs> because uh, 
Luther is of the Lutheran faith, and his father named him, since his father and his mother were both fairly religious, they named him after Martin Luther. And Calvin, who was Calvin in history? Well, Calvin was the founder of the, uh, I guess you, uh, I would call it the, the uh, Presbyterian, would be the ultimate outcome of what uh, Calvin founded. He was one of the early Protestants, too. So they so they're both from Protestant religions, and uh, and when they encounter each other, they realize that they're both Christians. Even though the U-boat captain had just sunk Calvin's ship, mm. that would make it uh, certainly an unusual friendship if it developed. Now the story is uh, fictional from that perspective, and uh, three hundred and some pages, but it is not a. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call it a uh, a religious study book. It, it really just is one of the underlying features and uh, part of that storyline. Right, yeah, because it, I guess as a historical novel, it's really involved with World War II. The times, it's it's all of Luther's life, really, because it starts uh, with him as a young child and, uh, and his development through life. And he was raised, like I said, as a Christian, and he believes in the Christian religion. And, and then he found that he liked to fix broken animals, wings, and things like that, and wound up being a doctor. And then, uh, and he's not very political, so he, he doesn't really pay attention to the rise of Hitler. Are you there? Are you yes, there? yes, uh, and, and one thing also that I found uh, that, that, that you mentioned in the book is that Nazism actually, uh, you cover it really through, what, uh, 1966? Is that the right year I'm, uh, I'm trying to remember? That's the year that uh, Luther dies. Okay. And when you uh, begin to, to uh, do research on this, and of course as a, an academic dean in English uh, history, was it difficult to do the research that you felt was necessary to, to flesh out the characters? Um, well, I wouldn't call it difficult. So like you said, since I am a professor, I'm used to doing research. And... Uh, so I enjoyed the research. I always enjoy learning. I've been that way ever since I was born, I think. And so I did the research in my own religious way. <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, and so, I, it, but it, and, and I was fascinated with everything that happened and, and how things came about. And I learned a lot myself because I didn't know. For one thing, I didn't know that jazz had been so popular in Germany before the war, mm. Mm. you know, and, and that jazz was, you know, Hitler hated it, but uh, because it was not a white thing, mm-hmm. Europe, you know, jazz was, uh, comes out of the black experience in America, so, uh, but th- those kind of things were all interesting to me. You also discussed the fact that uh, Hitler actually hated Christianity because it was a religion of choice uh, and and uh, really open to the world. Would that be a, an accurate uh, descriptive? Yes, it would. It would be because, of course, Christianity welcomes everyone and uh, no one is excluded as long as, you know, you, you choose the religion. And, uh, and he hated that, of course, because he wanted... He wanted the Germans to believe in his religion was that they were an uh, the Aryan race, the master race, 
and we're destined to uh, rule the world. You and all, if, yes. Go ahead. Uh, no, I was, I, I was just going to interject that you also mentioned something that surprised me, but uh, I think I had heard of it in history, that Texas actually had internment camps. Yeah, yeah, and they were in particular useful for U-boat captains because the uh, Allies figured put them hundreds of miles from any salt water, they're pretty safe there. <laughs> well, I live in Texas, and I can tell you there is not very much in the way of lakes and streams that is not man-made. I mean, Texas is a very arid, uh, sort of an arid part of the of the United States. Uh, how long did those internment camps uh, last, and who was the primary recipient of those? Um, those Who were the guests? Well, the guests were primarily Germans, and... Uh, and and I guess that might include some Italians and so on that were captured in the war too. But I know that uh, they were specifically uh, tar- the any U boat officers were specifically targeted to go to Texas because for that very reason, you know, they knew they they couldn't just grab a boat and head head out again. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if they were in uh, Sierra Blanca, which is pretty barren, arid, very arid area there in uh, southwest Texas. I think it's about three or four hundred miles from the Gulf of Mexico. Incredible. That's a part of history I was not aware of, at least uh, to any degree. Is there anything that surprised you and may surprise the reader about the historical elements of your book? Um, Well, we've talked about a few of them. Uh, I I did, I researched, by the way, I researched if any... uh, U-boat officers had escaped from the Texas internment camps. And there was one big escape, but it wasn't from the camp that I'm where Luther was positioned. It was a camp uh, closer to the, uh, I think it was the Brazos River. Yes. And in, in, and that's in the middle of the state, more or less, right? Yes, it is. And uh, anyway, I forget exactly where the camp was, but it was... Uh, near the Brazos, and 25 uh, U-boat officers did escape. And then they made it to the river. They had built a raft, (laughs) and then they realized that the river was so shallow that they couldn't float the raft. Oh, yeah, shallow and narrow, I think. It's a, it's a, most of, again, most of the riverways in Texas are, uh, would not be considered rivers. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the title, Nightmare Enemy dream friend. Uh, where did that come from? How does that describe the story? Uh, well, because the uh, the main character, Luther, was a nightmare enemy of in, in two ways. Because he wasn't a Nazi, he was kind of a nightmare enemy of the Nazis, but they didn't know he was. Because hmm. he has to keep that quiet. He doesn't want to endanger his family or or get himself executed. So he has to. He doesn't. He never becomes a Nazi, but he never speaks openly against them. Uh, and but he turns out to be a very good U-boat captain. He sinks a lot of Allied ships, including a British air, aircraft carrier. And uh, he, he wins twice. He wins the uh, Iron Cross. You know the Knight's Cross. Right. For. for deeds that he did with his uh, submarine. So he is 
kind of uh, heroic U-boat captain that the Allies want to catch and sink. They want to sink his ship very badly because he, he causes so much damage. But he also does this. Uh, he does his best to make sure that the uh, enemy ship that he's just sank has a means of rescuing the people on board. Hmm. And he won't stay around too long to put his own crew in danger, but he will stay around and he likes to make sure that there's like an air bo- uh, a uh, flying boat coming to pick him up or something like that. Those and, uh, those incidences were those based on fact or or were those uh, imagination in your on your part? Uh, well, so, yeah. Well, some of them were based on fact because there was a a U-boat uh, c- captain who did sink a British aircraft carrier, and I used his incident to build that part of the story. Hmm. Uh, I also. Um, The, um, a, lot, a lot of them are just my imagination, though, because I, I'm a history buff, and I, I, my father fought in World War II, and uh, so I'm, an, I'm familiar with it enough that I have a lot of possibilities of arranging things in my head from, that, from the war itself. And the U, I did have to study the U-boats. That's the research that was, I, was the most intense because... I didn't. I had to find out which U-boat he would probably be using, and it would be the most popular type, the Type Seven. And I had to. And there was a great site that I got a lot of information called U-boat.net, and they have their all the officers and seamen that would be on the submarine, what their duties would be. I mean, that that one was priceless. That that website. Phenomenal. Uh, would you describe the, the content of your book as a, a buddy novel? In other words, you have two characters that seem to get along. Is it is it basically character-driven, or are there some action scenes also included in your book? Oh, there's, there's, there are plenty of action scenes. Like I said, the uh, guy is quite a U-boat captain. He, uh, um, but he sinks a lot of ships, but his crew loves him because, as they tell him, we always you always get us home. And uh, so at, by the end of the book, this crew believes in him more than they believe in Hitler. Incredible. Uh, 336 pages must have taken a while to uh, to not only research and write, but how long did it take, and is it typical with all of the novels you have uh, shared? Uh, well, it's untypical in that it did take quite a while. I started working on it in August of 2015. No, 2014, I'm sorry, August 2014. And then, so for two and a half years, I put it together and uh, and then found a publisher and uh, was published in November of 2016. So it's a little, almost two and a half years. That's incredible. Uh, you uh, obviously are a very talented uh, individual and uh, certainly have a quest for knowledge. Uh, were you always uh, considered, I would call it, hyper? I mean, to write 20 novels plus carry on a career, how do you manage to to uh, to manage that? Um, well, uh, actually, my, most of my... Uh, I've always written. I, I wrote my first poem when I was three years old. Wow. So I've always been a writer, and for some reason it just... It, and I have a, a, a tremendous imagination. I can imagine almost anything. Uh, like I'm working on a fantasy novel now. 
I've written science fiction, uh, and the ideas keep coming. You know, you know that the idea of writer block. Yes. Never had it. Well, that's incredible. I'm always have an idea that I'm working on that I'm bringing into book form. Uh, the other novels, like the mystery novels that I write, they're very they're short, probably 100 to 120 pages, and each. So they're very short, and uh, they just take my imagination. I have to do a little research in each one, but not as much as the historical novel, Nightmare Enemy, Dream Friend. That that is that's something I'm very proud of. I think it, it works as a novel, and it's uh, very and the facts are there too. I've had uh, I've had people that read it who were in World War II, and they they said, "Oh man, that, that was seems so real to me." Wow. Well, that's certainly a commendation, and congratulations on completing this beautiful novel, Nightmare Enemy, Dream Friend. My guest author has been Jerry Blanton, B-L-A-N-T-O-N. For those of you who are spelling impaired like I am sometimes, you can do a search online and find this book plus others. Jerry, where can they get this? What's the best way for them to get a copy of Nightmare Enemy, Dream Friend? Well, the easiest is to go on Amazon.com. It's available on Amazon. It's available in Barnes and Noble, also, and uh, and from the publisher too. Excellent. And local booksellers can order it in, or can can get it shipped into their location oh, yeah. if they need to, oh, yeah. if they request yeah. it. In fact, it's in. Uh, I know some libraries have bought it, so it might even be in a library somewhere. But the, the easiest way to get it is uh, bookstores or online. Jerry, are you like other authors, and have uh, have you established a website yet? Yes, uh, my website is fairly easy to remember. It's author, A-U-T-H-O-R, jerrycblanton.com. Fabulous. And Jerry is spelled uh, in the typical sense, J-E-R-R-Y. Super. C is the middle initial, and Blanton. Incredible. Well, Jerry, thank you for sharing your personal story and also the background into the writing of this uh, particular novel, 300 and some pages, 336 approximately, the title of which is, again, Nightmare Enemy, Dream Friend, author Jerry Blanton. Thank you, Jerry, for joining me today. Thank you, Jay. My pleasure. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. When your focus is to lose weight or maintain your present weight, exercising effectively to burn the most calories is crucial. You want to give yourself every advantage to burn as many calories as possible. One good tip is to do your strength training exercises standing up so you can keep your heart rate up. Another tip is to perform multi-joint exercises when you can. For example, as you're doing a forward lunge, add bicep curls while you're coming up from the lunge. Another example is to execute a wide squat. And as you're coming up from the squat, perform a shoulder press. By doing these multi-joint exercises, you're putting more demands on your body, keeping your heart rate up, and working more muscles at the same time. The goal is to burn the most calories during that workout. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. 
Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book title is Checkmate. The Wolf Sisters series book number one and joining me from somewhere in the east coast of the United States is author Margie Millet. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Well, it's a pleasure. And uh, in our pre-conversation, I, uh, I discovered that you are uh, pretty busy as an author. You've written 11 books, published seven. This is the first in a series uh, titled or subtitled The Wolf Sister Series. Uh, when did you begin your authorship? When did you begin writing as, a, as an author? I began writing in 2008. And what and was then, what was the reason for that? I mean, had you always uh, been, uh, you know, a creative person, or or was this just something that you decided I'm going to give it a try? Well, I, I seem to always like daydreaming and having stories in my head, and then I said, but with you know being having a family and working, you just never think about it. And then one day I was just talking to my friends at work and I said, you know, I have a story in my head that it just doesn't go away, and I would love to write it. Um, and she said, well, just write it. So I was I decided, well, why not try it? So I decided to start writing. Excellent. Are your other books fictional also? Yes, all my books are fictional. All right, and your original birthplace was Puerto Rico. You are now in the United States, I'm guessing, and uh, you uh, you have written a lot of books in a short period of time. How long does it take to to complete a novel, typically? Well, it depends. If, if I have um, before, I didn't have plenty of time, so I was doing more part time. So when I started in 2008, it was just part-time writing. Right. And so I work, I took care of my kids, and I read a, write a little bit. And then when I became um, uh, unemployed in 2013, it's when I was able to open up and be able to write full-time. So now I'm not working. You know, I have hours that I could do it. So um, a book, depending on how you know interesting the story is or how, or how it catches me, like it doesn't want to let go, my story doesn't want to get out of my head, then I just keep writing and writing. Um, so, like, my vampire book, I almost read it. I, I wrote it, like, in three months. Wow. And then some of them take me six months, seven months. Uh, this one, titled Checkmate, I, I was going to ask you if that's a self-portrait on the cover. I don't think that is, but... Um, no, <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> not at all. I, 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 will, de- I will describe gonna... this. Yes, go ahead. Go ahead and describe it to my to my listeners so they'll get an idea of uh, maybe what age range should be reading your book. Okay. Well, it should be adults. So it should be 18 and older um, because it is erotica romance, so it's going to have lost scenes, um, explicit. Mm love things um is a woman woman could read the book um the, the like romance and the like paranormal and erotica um it has action and it has um really good uh, action scenes and fighting scenes so if men are interested in writing reading a little bit of love story and they don't mind you know the other parts then they, they could read it too right and the the um basic uh premise of your story checkmate you mentioned paranormal is there is there elements of that in this novel as well yes yes the wolf sisters oh that is what the wolf sisters refer to i thought it might refer to their last name or some other no, aspect no, no, hmm. no the wolf the wolf sisters all three girls wow and uh, uh is it is it written from experience some somebody you have met or is this totally fictional no your, i Totally fictional, but I do read a lot of paranormal books. I, I like uh, vampire stories, wolf, gargoyles, all the all the paranormal things. Like I love, 
the Harry Potter stories. I love uh, Lord of the Rings, elf stories, and stuff like that. So I like a lot of fantasy so um, and paranormal. So um, I was going to read them as a contemporary book, but then I said to myself, why don't I make the girls wolf sisters? Mm. Why not? So that's why I decided to change the story from three half-sisters that live in Miami um, to three half-sisters, wolf sisters that live in Miami. Well, well, is is this contemporary in its time frame? Is this uh, dealing with automobiles and uh, current high rises, or is it future tense or yes. past tense? Yes, it is. It's, it's a present. It's a present time. So everything else besides the girls being shifter is is contemporary. So you have they have houses, they have cars, airplanes, computers, the whole thing. Mm. And your main character, is it Pilar? Is that uh, the correct pronunciation of your main character? Pilar, yeah, Pilar. And what about her? Who is, who is she? She is, um, a, a, she is a uh, middle-aged, not middle-aged, oh my God, in the 20s, <laughs> middle 20s uh, young girl. Um, she is a, a, a DA of the uh, Miami-Dade Police, and she's a, half, she's a wolf sister, and she has two half-sisters, and um, it's her going through finding out how to help people abuse women, and then she finds her mate, and she has to figure out how she could involve her mate in her life and uh, and the frustration of wondering, because none of them realized that there was wolves elsewhere. They just Mm -hmm. saw it was just then. Now they figure out that there's more wolf shifters um, around. Wow, that you know that does take an imagination, absolutely. And uh, uh, <laughs> you you have taken a while to write this. It's 172 pages. Um, was it a, 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 an event or a process that you found enjoyable, or was there some challenges also involved in writing this? Actually, it was enjoyable because, like I said, I like reading a lot, so it was part of my my nature to read paranormal. So it was really enjoyable. Um, I do. Um, like her character, I love the strength of her, and I found that the the, the 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 scenes just flow. So as soon as I started writing her story, it was easy. I, I didn't have to contradict myself, or I didn't have to think, "Oh my God, why am I writing this?" It just everything just fell right into into the place. So I was just having fun writing her story. Mm, so you don't write from an outline specifically. You write from inspiration at the moment. Yes, but I did learn to do an outline. At the, my first three books that I wrote were not outlined, so I just wrote them. But then because I was doing a series, because I know there was three girls, uh, three sisters, I needed to make sure that I did not duplicate some of the scenes, some of the the characters or some of the names so in some of the storyline. So at that point, I did have to do a very small outline. I don't do big outlines like pages of outlines. Yes. Just how the character looks, what is her situation, what is her job, or, and then I needed to, you know, put her partner, you know, the, the, her, her mate. So I needed to make sure that I didn't, copy everything the same way in all the situations. So I did do a little bit of outline of what her story could be, and, what, and it always changes how her, how her story could have been compared to her other two sisters. 
I've noticed that there's a certain aspect of your novel that you particularly enjoyed writing. Is this uh, something that you've shared with family members, uh, you know, relatives, uh, those kinds of, uh, of uh, connections? What has been their reaction? Actually, uh, they all like it. Um, they, uh, they, so they're surprised that I'm write, writing Erorica because, I mean, I'm going to be 60 this year and a grandmother, you know, <laughs> mom of three. They said, oh, my goodness, you know. So they surprised a little bit. But my friends like the books, and they, you know, they, 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 they surprised a little bit than I'm the one writing then. Um, I do have an older daughter that reads my books because she's used to it. And then I got a daughter and a son that says, oh, we're not reading your books, Mom. We don't want to know. We don't want to know what <laughs> you're thinking. Your mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, but my, yes. my, my husband doesn't read it. Um, he just, <laughs> you know, if he doesn't say automobile in front of the book, because he's a mechanic, he's not going to read it. Mm. So, um, but the rest of the, my family and my friends do enjoy the book when they read it, and they call me and they say, "Whoa!" and they say, "Whoa!" and you know, <laughs> what was that scene? You know, and I said, "Okay." I'm glad you like the scene. <laughs> yes, and and uh, that's uh, that's just uh, me and my husband in disguise. I, I guess you would say. I don't know what you say. <laughs> yeah, that's what everybody says. Is this some kind of uh, uh, idea with your husband? It says, "No, oh, this is pure fantasy." Pure fantasy. All right. Well, <laughs> just, again, just you, you've, you've got a disclaimer on this. If it doesn't have automobile, most guys might might reject it or might not uh, pick it up. Uh, you also have a disclaimer that perhaps uh, the better reader should be what over. 18 you think yes it should be over 18 mm. unless i mean like i did have a young girl um with her mom because i volunteered to help with taxes uh and the tax season and she looked interested in the book and then i look at her so how old are you are and she was like 16 oh. and mm. I, well this is not for you this is an adult <laughs> book and her mom looked oh she reads all those all the time so huh. uh, for me you know you're the mom i don't know but it is an adult book it, it, it is for just, uh, I had a cousin that wanted to buy one for her daughter. So when she called me, she says, I want to buy your book for my daughter. He said, how old is your daughter? I said, 12. Uh, you realize that I'm writing an adult book here? No, it's not a kid's book. He said, oh, really? I didn't know. I said, no. So she said, oh, okay, sorry. So, you know, it is an old, it's an adult book. It's, it should not be read by a young kid. Well, as oh. as they say in Great Britain, it has some naughty bits in it, I guess. That's what we're going to describe it. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Those are the fun parts. Yes. <laughs> well, the action scenes besides the naughty bits, uh, what what type of uh, scenes do you have? Do you have car crashes, uh, those kinds of things? or what, have, what do you have? Well, because they're wolf shifters. So they're wolf shifters. I have people that are doing a little bit of uh, uh, drug dealing. I have a little bit of people that do, uh, they, uh, do a little bit of prostitution. So they have to fight the bad people. I have a person that kidnapped somebody else, so they have to fight the bad people to save that person. Um, there is scenes of fight in the, in the uh, woods. They, they fight as man first, and then they shift, and they fight as wolves. And I have a little bit of fighting in the street, but no, no, no car chasing. <laughs> no car chasing. Well, no wonder your 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 husband doesn't want to read it. You need to put the word automobile on the top top of the page <laughs> on the book. Stick it Probably. on there. Maybe he'll read it. <laughs> I would do it to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and your your action scenes or your storyline actually takes place takes place although you're in Florida, Florida, Wyoming, and and Arizona, all over all over the United States, pretty much. Yes, the girls are from Miami. It's Latina girls from Miami. And then um, the, the people from Wyoming, uh, the bad people, they're doing all the uh, the, uh, the prostitution and everything. And so how they cross 
cats. So they they get it mixed up. And the people from Arizona are their mates. And what happened is uh, one of their mates needs to go to Miami to discover something is going on there. Hmm. And that's how he that's how she found the air mate. Since you have become a prolific writer, I guess would be the way to describe it. I mean, this seven seven novels, uh, seven novels uh, released, eleven books uh, written. Are any of those other books that have not been released? Are those uh, scheduled for for public consumption soon? Not soon. I'm in the middle of writing two series because the, the, I always have a story that comes up that you're writing. So I'm doing a um, a uh, bear series. So it's going to be paranormal. So it's humans that turn into bears. Hmm. And then I, I have one book in that one, and I'm in the middle of the second book. And then I have a book that is going to be uh, Witches, Demons, and Gargoyles. And it's, again, um, is humans that turn in gargoyles, and witches don't turn anything. They just have powers. And demons, humans that turn into demons. Well, considering your background and the uh, storyline that you've uh, created here, uh, the book on bears, is that spelled B-A-R-E-S or B-E-A-R-S? Yeah. No, it's bears. It's like uh, the animal bear. Oh, animal bear. Okay. <laughs> Just thought I'd ask. Uh, the, the the title of this book, again, is Checkmate, Wolf Sisters Series Book One. My guest has been Margie Millette. Where do my listeners get a copy of this if they're old enough and uh, can show identification? No, they won't have to do that. But, uh, you know, can get a copy <laughs> No, they of won't have to. Um, they are in Amazon, so you'll be able to find it in hard copy and an, an e-book, if you're interested, just an e-book. And they would be in Barnes & Noble, so you could either find it in Barnes & Nobles or in Amazon. Have you launched it, Have you launched a web page yet, a, you know, Facebook yeah, or Facebook. otherwise? I have a web page. If you go www.marginmillet.com, you should be able to find my um, Internet page. And I'm also on the Facebook under Margie Millet, and I'm also in Twitter and Instagram. Fabulous. Let me spell your name for my listeners. Margie, M-A-R-G-Y, Millet, M-I-L-L-E-T. So if they do a search under your name, they can locate this and other books that may come in the future. Thanks for sharing your story today. Oh, you're welcome. I'm very happy that you invited me. My pleasure. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.